welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. Several weeks ago, when I agreed to preach on Mother's Day, I think it maybe was because I have a mother, and I actually am a mother. And as I contemplated what it seemed appropriate to share, usually sermons on Mother's Day fall into three categories. The first one is a celebration of mothers. You know the one. Um, Mothers are awesome. God loves mothers. The trouble with that message, unfortunately, not all mothers are or were that wonderful. Perhaps there are some of you here this morning that quite honestly weren't blessed with a wonderful mom. Perhaps you grew up in foster care. There may be some who were adopted, and you may wonder why your mom chose to have someone else raise you. And there are some of here on Mother's Day who find it difficult because you always longed to be a mom, and that didn't happen. So much for that message. The second type of message focuses on how to be a better mom. Be like one of those biblical heroines, Hannah, Mary, Sarah, or Rebecca. So basically, that message is, happy Mother's Day. Now, here's how to be really successful mothering. Unfortunately, that assumes that if one is great or even good at mothering, then your children will be awesome. If you're here and your little one was sleeping through the night when they were three months old, they were completely potter trained at 18 months. Um, At 10, they were playing the piano quite proficiently. They were getting a full-ride scholarship to a prestigious university on their own merit. Um, Or they married very well, and you have absolutely darling grandchildren. Um, Then you really don't need this message, or a message. But here's the reality. God gave everyone a free will. Everyone. Kids, teens, young adults, they they all make choices that can be completely contrary to what was either modeled for them or what they were taught. Ah, so much for that sermon. So um, the third option on Mother's Day is just completely ignore it, and um, one just decides not to, just pretend it isn't even Mother's Day. But um, we don't, and it is, and Abby found a really sweet video that's just so meaningful, and turn your attention to the screen right now and let's watch it. Today is a day of honor for moms. For every mother in every stage of life, today is a day of honor. We honor moms of infants and little ones. May God bless you with patience, kindness, and perseverance. And may you believe that your never-ending job will help bring true life to the generations that follow. We honor moms of teenagers. May God give you grace upon grace, and may you travel this uncertain journey together with them as they transition from child to adult. We honor women who are trying to have children, but who are not yet able. It took courage and resolve to come to church today. May God gently remind you that He has not forgotten you, And may you become newly inspired to keep your eyes fixed on the light of His gaze. 
We honor grandmothers today. May God give you the grace to see the good that you provided to your own children. And may you help inspire your grandkids to follow Jesus with every step they take. And finally, we honor moms who have lost children prematurely. May God be your strength and comfort on a day like today. And may you rise stronger than ever to be a blessing to others. For those we mentioned and for the many unidentified moms that we didn't, God has always used a mother's love and strength to make known his own love and strength. In your best moments and in your imperfections, the glory of God is shining through you. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Let's shift gears a little right now. At last month's session meeting, it was decided that it would be really great for the next six weeks to preach and teach on what the vision and mission of our church is. And I honestly spent some time these last couple of weeks figuring out how to exactly put that all together this morning. Jeff has shared the past two Sundays about the importance that we as a church embrace together what our mission is, what the plan will be that defines why we are in a building here on the corner of Unipro and Mountain View and Carmel. So our mission simply stated is to make disciples and grow Christ-like followers of Jesus. And our vision, or the picture we have of what we would like to become is to lead all in our community to become lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. Both of these statements really do challenge us personally. So today, I want to share a message that doesn't beat anybody up, certainly not the mums sitting here this morning, or those who perhaps feel overwhelmed if you reflect on what it might be expected of you to be part of the mission or vision of CPC. I'm compelled to focus on affirmation. In Romans 8.1, Paul writes, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Women here today, even though you may feel it, you are not condemned if your house is messy or you have a lack of desire to homeschool or your difficulty in caring for a special needs child or because sometimes it's easier to like one child more than another at times. You are not condemned if you desire to be alone, sort of away from the kids once in a while, or your kids aren't going to a prestigious college. You are not condemned if you have no desire to have more kids, or you choose not to have kids, and you're certainly not con um, condemned if you weren't able to have children. And then, this is for every single person sitting here today, you're not condemned if you get frustrated trying to share your faith with your family, your friends, your coworkers, or your neighbors. I have so many dear friends that I long to see put their trust and confidence in Jesus. A few years ago, I invited a friend to a faith-based leadership conference with me. Some of the speakers at the conference were from the corporate sphere, including authors like Jim Collins, who wrote the book Good to Great, and Patrick Lencioni, who wrote a really neat book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. My friend always had been very vocal about her disinterest in Christianity and how much she really didn't like Christians, except me, of course. 
Although she knew the conference would feature some Christian speakers, she was very interested in the leadership component of it. I was thrilled she wanted to come with me, and I was confident when she heard some amazing Christian speakers, she would just absolutely want to trust Jesus with her life. Um, the last speaker at the conference was a man named John Ortberg, and John is the pastor at Menlo's Church up in the Bay Area, and his presentation was called, Who is This Man? He clearly presented an incredible message about Jesus. It was compelling. It was articulate. It was convincing. When we got in the car, she turned to me and said, tell me you don't believe that stuff. On the drive home, I carefully and, and with confidence shared about my faith in Jesus, my confidence in his life, in his death and his resurrection. And she was as adamant as could be that it was still quite ridiculous to believe any of it. How about you? Can you identify? I'm sure you do, because we all have friends so resistant to the gospel. And what is often our reaction? I personally get really frustrated with myself that I'm such a terrible witness. That day, as I dropped off my friend, I said some tears in the car. And then I heard the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear, get over yourself. It's your place to share it's my place to do the convicting, but never stop sharing. As I said a few minutes ago related to mothers, I will say it to all of you who long to see those that you love find forgiveness and healing and restoration and eternal life through Christ, but feel frustrated and disappointed and perhaps a little condemned or judged. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We often read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. But we sometimes don't go to verse 17 that said, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This applies to every single one of you here today. God loves you. Now that we've got that settled, I want to move on to something else related to every one of us. It has to do with expectations. How we thought or the plan we formulated for our lives and how they would turn out. I recently read an interesting article called Redirection. The author talked about a special report and a program that was called This American Life on NPR that followed the lives of several people who were living their plan B. An informal poll was to ask 100 people to think back to the beginning of adulthood when you first started formulating a plan for your lives. This was called Plan A and was described as the fate that you were sure fate had in store for you. The people who were still following their Plan A were asked to raise their hands. Of that group, only one person raised her hand. She was 23. I have a hunch that it might be the same here. So what do you say? If, you're, if you consider that you now in adulthood, how many are still following the plan that you had back when you made your plan A? How many are following that one? Oh, two people. Oh, great, amazing. Um, 
seems to be a trend that the thing we planned on doing usually doesn't end up being the thing we actually end up doing. Few of us are living the life we first imagined. Plan A becomes C, and then D, and then E. I think I'm on plan K. When we look at the Bible, so would Joseph and Moses and David and Esther and Isaiah and Jonah, Mary, John, Peter, Paul. I could go on and on. Most of us have a pretty good idea of the twists and turns of their lives. I'd like to focus on the chapters of three of them. The first chapter will be Surviving in Egypt with Joseph, the second one, Reigning in Persia with Esther, and the third one, Navigating around Israel with Peter. So let's begin with Joseph. He was the beloved son of Jacob and Rachel. He was despised by his brothers. They betrayed him and sold him into slavery. He was shipped off to Egypt. Then he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife, sent off to prison, betrayed by a fellow or prisoner, and then rescued by and blessed by Pharaoh. I doubt that any of those circumstances in his life were anywhere near his plan A. But God, I love that, but God used all those situations in Joseph's life for his plan to rescue his people, the Israelites, from famine. In Genesis 45, when Joseph reveals his true identity to his brothers, he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these last two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Looking back, Joseph could see that despite all the ups and downs in his life, God's purposes prevailed. His faith was unshakable. Chapter 2, Reigning in Persia with Esther. Esther was a young, orphaned Jewish woman who was being raised by her cousin Mordecai. After they had been carried away from Jerusalem into Persia in captivity, King Xerxes, the king of Persia, had banished his queen because she disobeyed him, and had launched a contest to find a replacement queen. Esther was forced into the contest, and after months of beauty treatments, she was selected to be the new queen. Definitely not her plan A. The villain in this story is a guy named Haman who convinces the king to execute all the Jews that had been taken to Persia, which would include Esther. Esther is encouraged by her cousin Mordecai to go to the king to plead for her people. And Esther reminds Mordecai in chapter 4, verse 11, if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. Mordecai responds, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. 
Esther asks all the Jews who could to fast for three days, and then she says, I will go to the king, although it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther recognized that sometimes the trajectory of our lives isn't about us, but about God's greater purpose. The king welcomed Esther and her plea for her people, and they were saved. So now let's move into the New Testament. Jesus rather radically interrupted the plans of a lot of people. Matthew's plan was probably to continue being a very successful tax collector. Paul's plan was to continue to be a devout and very zealous Jewish leader. So let's unpack the story of one of Jesus' disciples, a fisherman named Peter. I'm imagining Peter's plan A was to continue to fish until he retired, and he'd probably take up golf. When each one of Jesus' disciples was called to follow him, their plan A's were left in the dust. They followed Jesus, recognizing that he was the long-awaited Messiah. They were awed by his miracles. I think it's safe to say that they all, including Peter, embraced plan B. But the crucifixion completely shattered that plan. Peter briefly returned to plan A, fishing. Then we get to in the book of, of um, Acts, and for Peter, plan C was now launched. Peter the fisherman had become Peter the follower of Jesus, and now he was Peter the preacher. In Acts 2, we find Peter boldly proclaiming, beginning in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did, through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was impossible for him to be held by it. Moving on to verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? Literally thousands of people did indeed repent and were baptized. We see Peter's story in Acts to include healing a man who was lame and actually raising a woman from the dead. And Peter lived happily ever after. Right? No. Yes, the early church saw astounding growth and people converting. But plan D for Peter started with persecution and jail. And according to church tradition, Peter was martyred for his faith. But he left us a wonderful legacy in two books that he wrote that we find in the New Testament. Peter addresses his letters to groups of Christians who were scattered throughout the northern areas of Asia Minor, where he might have previously preached the gospel. In his letter, Peter wrote about persecution, and he focused on the importance of believers bearing up under suffering and continuing to live well. Just a few minutes ago, Rachel read a passage from 1 Peter. He affirms the living hope we have in Jesus despite trials. Peter's faith was unshakable. It's highly likely that, are, that there are even, as we know, few 
not just here but anywhere, that are living the life that they imagined. For some, that may be really great news. Perhaps you've discovered along the way that your carefully plans weren't all that great, and God has mercifully intervened and redirected them. In Proverbs 19.31, we read, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Or perhaps you find that your journey from A to B to C to D and so on has been a fascinating trip, and you see it as a gift from a loving creator. Or there may be others who walk away from plan A absolutely defeated, regretting the detours and the turns that may be behind you. And so often it is the choices of others that greatly impact our lives in a significant way. It's possible to become overwhelmed with guilt and regret with the demise of plan A. When life turns out to be completely contrary to what you planned, it's very easy to wonder if you've missed God's best and you're stuck in mediocrity. So let's knit back into Peter's story between plan B, following Jesus, and plan C, preaching. We recently heard the part of Peter's life when he denied Jesus. He failed in a really gigantic way, not once, but three times. But forgiveness was given freely by Jesus, and Peter was commissioned by the Holy Spirit to be that plan C preacher. Several years ago, I met a young military couple who were attending the church where I was serving. Um, Chuck was attending the Naval Postgraduate School, and they immediately jumped into service at the church. Alice confided in me that they'd been trying to have a baby. Imagine her delight when one day she came and told me they were expecting. Plan A was going along very well for them. College, marriage, military career, and now family. And the pregnancy went well, too, until she was approximately five months along, and complications arose, and she lost the baby. It was amazing to see her faith and confidence, and, well, actually, both of them in God's plan. School was beginning, and Alice decided that she would apply to be a substitute teacher with MPUSD. She hadn't really taught before, but she had the educational background to substitute. After school started, she was assigned to King Middle School in Seaside to cover for a teacher who was not well. Days turned into weeks, and eventually she was hired to continue the rest of the year as a long-term substitute. It was rather amazing. Alice embraced Plan B wholeheartedly. Almost a year later, rather than celebrating a baby's birthday, she invited me to come to the eighth grade graduation. She had been teaching eighth grade social studies, and the class had selected her to be their speaker for their graduation. When she got up to speak, the entire eighth grade class jumped to their feet, clapping like crazy and cheering for her. And because she wouldn't be returning to teach, she sweetly and lovingly shared her faith in God and his faithfulness to her no matter what. Alice chose to make a choice to embrace a different plan, and her faith remained unshakable. You know, I recently heard that following God is something like following directions on your GPS. When we begin, we're told exactly where to go, right? Now, I tend to sometimes forget things at home, 
And if I've set my GPS and I'm going somewhere that I don't know how to get to, I turn around and my GPS says, return to the route. And it will keep on saying that with every turn I make to go home, return to the route, return. I go, okay, I will eventually when I get my cell phone. Um, when we accidentally turn right instead of left, or we take an unforeseen detour, GPS doesn't scold us or start yelling or saying, what were you thinking? Can't you understand plain English? I said to turn right, or I said to turn left, um, or go three miles, not two. The destination is important. GPS doesn't make you feel guilty because it readjusts, right? The destination is, not, is the point, not the way to get there. So the destination hasn't changed, but plan A may be switched to a different plan to get you there. And it's no different with our lives. Plan A may be switched, but the outcome remains the goal. God is aware of the turns in life that we can never undo. Choices we can't erase, detours, detours we never expected. Through some of those turns, he grieves with us. But he is never deterred by our position. Plan B, plan B may be a phrase you use to punish yourself or others, or plan C or D. But in fact, God delights in being in everyone. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord to a struggling people, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. God is constantly redirecting your steps, while in the end, God alone remains the same. Despite broken roads and secondary paths, God is forever showing that the destination unchanged. And in the end, God's best comes into our lives, not because we took careful steps, but because of his divine steps towards us. Our Heavenly Father is one whose plans are all-encompassing, whose arm is not too short to save, who goes the extra mile, who reminds us that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. May you remain unshakable no matter what. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your guidance in our lives. Thank you that when things don't go as expected, when we face disappointments and trials, you remain constant. We stand in your righteousness, Lord Jesus, and are dearly loved by you as your child because of what you did on the cross on our behalf. We take comfort in the fact that you shelter us from the storms in life. You never change, and we always can trust you. If there's someone here this morning who is aware of your forgiveness but hasn't embraced life beyond it, may they have courage to trust you and your plans so they're not only asking forgiveness but accepting it too. You are a good father, and although your ways are not always ours, may each one of us right now set our confidence and our faith in you. You do tenderly love us, and we can rest in you, trust your promises and your purposes, and lean into your mercy and your grace. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.